This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. On January 18th, 1788, a fleet of 11 British ships arrived at Botany Bay, what would later become Port Jackson on the southeastern side of Australia. Transporting over 1,500 passengers, with roughly half of them being convicts, stuffed away in the underbelly of each vessel. This was the first of many shipments of human cargo as well as British settlers to Australia's strange and foreboding landscape. The seemingly perfect place to ship all those who had sinned, and a new world for those brave enough to explore. A sentiment that would lead many explorers to their ultimate demise at the hands of the Australian outback. The heat, deadly plants, unknown insects, and most significantly, its strange and dangerous animals. One such creature was particularly feared by the aboriginals of the southeast, and tales of its vicious attacks would eventually trickle through the newly established British colonies. A monster known as the Bunyip. No white settler had seen such a beast, but this did not seem to matter. With so many bizarre animals discovered and feared already, the existence of such a creature was never questioned. However, real sightings were soon to come. In 1802, a man named William Buckley was falsely accused of theft. He was convicted and sent to Australia to serve 14 years for his crimes. Standing six foot eight inches tall, William Buckley was a formidable character not one to be taken lightly as a convict. And to little surprise, in 1803, Buckley sprung himself from prison, willing to take his chances in the newfound deadly terrain of the Australian outback, rather than to rob behind bars. Buckley indeed managed to escape, but his story that would follow took an unexpected turn. William Buckley would flee into the outback and spend the next 30 years in hiding, living amongst the Watharung Aborigines. It is with them that Mr. Buckley would encounter some of the most formidable creatures on planet Earth. And after over 30 years of hiding, he finally told his story in 1835. The natives fear it as a man-eater, tearing apart its victims and letting out a bellowing cry. Bunyips were often seen by the natives, who had a great dread of them believing them to have some supernatural power over human beings, so as to occasion death, sickness, disease, and such like misfortunes. They have also a superstitious notion that the great abundance of eels in some of the lagoons where animals resort are ordered for the bunyip's provision, and they therefore seldom remain long in such neighborhoods after having seen the creature. Join us on Into the Portal as we investigate the legend of a dangerous and elusive creature that dwells in the billabongs and rivers of Australia's outback, the Bunyip.
Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Yep, and we're back. It's a holy week. <laughs> what are it, we talking about, Andrew? We are talking about a legendary and very elusive creature on this week's episode. Mm-hmm. Heading back into the cryptos- cryptozoology realm, which I've been wanting to do for a little while now. Heading down under. Down under. Down under. I'm going to have the worst. <laughs> There's going to be some bad Australian accents yeah. throughout this, for sure. <laughs> so bear with us, all our friends down in Australia, because we do have some other shows we know down there. Yep. But yeah, no, we are talking about the legendary Bunyip. Which is this... The legendary bun. The legendary bun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Make it sound super profound. It's such a strange name, right? It kind of is. It's bizarre. I've never... I think it obviously stems from uh, an Aboriginal word. Yeah. And it's just been adopted into present day by mm-hmm. the colonial settlers and yeah. the now present day inhabitants. So... Right. It has a very rich history though, right? In Definitely. Aboriginal folklore and... And mythologies. It goes so. way back. It goes way back. But before we get into any of this, we wanted to start yes. off the show with uh, a, a few reviews because we've had a few new ones uh-huh. and we just wanted to give some shout outs because we really appreciate the reviews that we get. You guys are amazing and it just helps out the show so, so much. So, mm-hmm. so here we go. So we had a new one on the Canadian iTunes uh, from Rye Vincent. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> so he says, this podcast is awesome. I have learned a lot about some crazy topics that I wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. The intelligence of Amber and Andrew really shines through. And I really appreciate the research and organization that goes into each episode. Thanks for making my mundane tasks something to look forward to. Five-star review. Thank you so much, man. Aw, thanks, Rye. I did, the intelligence of Amber and Andrew. That I don't know about <laughs> that. But. That's uh, very gracious of you to say. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Aw. Oh, you're so awesome, too. So I have one over on the American iTunes. Yeah. I almost said American Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, it's the iTunes. The iTunes. Now I'm just sounding really old. Um, Yeah, no, we had one from um, Mike Stewart, 72. Uh, Great podcast, five stars. He says, just recently discovered the podcast and been going back and listening to the past episodes. Nice. The podcast is fun, entertaining, and informative. Plus, the hosts are enjoyable, too. Keep up the Yay. great work with a big thumbs up. Sweet. So thank you, Mike. We appreciate that. That's awesome. And I think there was one more. Wasn't we there? did. Yeah, we had a Facebook review uh, from Aaron B. And he says, a terrific podcast delving into the bizarre world of the unknown, covering a broad range of phenomena, including well-known and more obscure cases. These two are well-researched and put on a great show. Keep up the great work. So thank you so much, you guys. That's just, honestly, when we get these, it, it melts my heart. It's awesome because, really this does, is like yeah. you know, to get feedback on what you put a lot of work into means a lot. So It does. And we love doing this show, so it, it's, to, to see that other people really enjoy it is pretty sweet. Yeah. 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 So, diving into the topic of the day. Yes. We've got the creature, the bunyip. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about this this cryptid creature is that, you know, kind of similar to others, I guess, where it's sort of shape shifts almost. Like when we talked about the Ogopogo in an earlier episode, there were descriptions of it being looking different depending on who saw it. It's a very bizarre... Yeah. I don't know, though. I feel like shapeshifter, that's kind of a strong word, right? Sorry, like, I guess I shouldn't like, say that. It's the shifting perception Sh- yeah, of right. it. Yeah. And this is a semi-aquatic creature we're talking about, so a lot of the times uh, parts are obscured, um, not a lot showing. It's said to reside, this was so funny, when you go into the Wikipedia, it says, 
The Bunyip is a large mythical creature from Australian Aboriginal mythology, said to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. Yeah. 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 I love the billabongs. I was like, what? I didn't even honestly realize that a billabong was a natural feature in the environment. Yeah. I just thought it was a <laughs> cool surf sense. brand name. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, it's an Australian coming from out of Australia, I guess. The brand and then the name. Did, did it? Yeah, oh, okay. I always assumed it was just like, you know, a California brand. Oh, uh, okay. Similar like Quicksilver or something. Right, right, right. Very, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it's, it's So that's where, this thing, that's where this thing resides, though, is in these these sort of backwater. That's just it. Exactly. It's like, is a billabong, I mean, swamps and billabongs sound more remote than say creeks and riverbeds, like creeks and riverbeds could be in various locations. And, but predominantly the sightings have been in the Southeastern corner, I guess you could say of the continent of Australia. And it mm-hmm. started with the, um, yeah, the Aboriginal peoples in that area who have been around for a crazy long time. I believe the technical term is a long ass time <laughs> because they've been around. Like when we looked into the North Sentinel Islanders, the Sentinelese, mm-hmm. for that episode, for the people with no fire, they're kind of in the same realm, so to speak, in terms of like where population and migrations would have happened way back in the day. Hmm. And we found out right in that episode that they they were should have been they were on that island around sixty thousand years ago. And that was the rough estimate. That was a rough estimate. Some some claimed longer, some claimed you, less. Right. But and that was kind of the median. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the same situation we're in with uh, when we're looking at the history of Indigenous Australians. Some say as early as 65,000. Some argue as far back as 100,000 years. But generally the range is around like 40,000. Okay. 40, 40 to 60,000 years ago. It's a lot of history. It's a ton of history. And it, actually maybe makes sense uh as far as like the theory section we get to that because a lot of these uh creatures that supposedly could be the bunyip were residing in this time frame right in the pleistocene era right so the megafauna isn't that insane to think that like yeah like their ancestors your people were were having to avoid like giant kangaroos and like giant you know, like you think a crocodile is big now, like the things, the animals that they were having to deal with were insane. Yeah. So. Man killers. Man killers. And so that is how the bunyip is sort of figured as in Aboriginal mythologies is yeah. a man killer. That's right. And definitely larger than a Labrador retriever. Uh, some people estimate it's about the size of a, a baby calf. Not a baby calf, like a six month calf, that type of thing. Well, that's just it. So, I mean, here's the thing. It's it's greatly feared and it's said to hunt at night. It's supposed to be this nocturnal aquatic creature and I feel like that's, that's one of the reasons why it's been tough to see. Well, you know, it does actually make sense because a lot of creatures in Australia are nocturnal simply because of the heat. Right. And they have to. Like That even, does make sense. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of marsupials come out and they... In the evenings and all sorts of things. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I know so much. <laughs> Anyone from Australia, please feel free to correct me on that. <laughs> oh, we know a few. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they'll be reaching out yeah, on this yeah. episode for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was said to kind of stalk, stalk its prey at night. And it didn't directly attack humans or, or, or seek them out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It was more so just when people were around these watering holes, billabongs, places you know, near water at night or in the evening, it was just a dangerous place to be. You were just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. It wasn't necessarily seeking out humans specifically. But maybe if they went too close or something. So 
again, some people think maybe it was just a cautionary tale, but there's definitely some substance to it. Some, some, something real behind it for sure, because this is a, you know, if for, for the indigenous Australians, I mean, they're having to deal with some gnarly animals on a daily basis, right? Starting from 60,000 years ago, if that's when you think they arrived all the way up to present day, still living in the outback. For well, them but, to be yeah. afraid of something well, would me- it, it really means something, right? Exactly. Because they're dealing with all sorts of stuff. Uh, funnel mouth spiders, brown, eastern brown snakes, got the box <laughs> jellyfish over there. It's just, jeez, yeah. got all sorts of crazy stuff. So I think what's important is to probably go ahead and give a physical description of this thing. Because yeah. right now all Let's of our... Let's try to. All of our... Yeah, it's so Let's funny that the, descri- the descriptions and the illustrations are wildly different from one another. Very um, much so. But I feel like right now in all of our listeners' minds, it's just this big, big uh, black thing that it was just like, you know... It's, it's like just big, this... It's whatever... Yeah, I, I wonder what big, people are picturing in their heads. I know. Because... Right, <laughs> right in. It is just Let a monster in the water. Yeah. As of right now. So let's 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 try to do a description here. This is just anyways. Okay, do you wanna do you wanna you jump kick in. it off? You or? jump in. Okay, okay, well. Alright. So yes, like we said, they wild oh my gosh, I can't even talk right now. They vary They vary so wildly that some scholars believe that this is just a sort of nominal catch-all for all sorts of different regional monsters. And we'll kind of get into that more because there are sort of like two big sort of sub camps within the bunyip right, right. and then within those there's almost like nine different variations yeah like sub categories yes. of, of, yeah, of appearance so but like we said it's about the size of a six-month calf so like a baby cow uh it <laughs> or at least that's how it appears in the water exactly right, right. so that's what's, that's what's seen. visible that's yeah. what's seen yeah, yeah exactly so there might be a lot more to it uh generally described as having a horse tail Either a long neck or a dog face. Usually it's one of the two. Hmm. And then multiple people have described feathers. Some describe like, um, like kind of like dusty gray feathers. Some describe scales. There's tusks involved. Beards. Yeah. Duck bills. Uh, also like flippers. Almost like seal-esque flippers. Right. And... Yeah, like I said, the, the, the long neck is in some, so it kind of lends itself more to like a plesiosaur type description, but oh, okay. but everything else leads to the imagination elsewhere, right? Other stuff. So, altogether. yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. And so there is definitely, like we said, there's two more solid kinds of the bunny. Right, right. Remember, before so, we get into those two solid kinds, like I just wanted to kind of make the point here. It's like, even though there are crazy variations in the descriptions of this creature... When we were looking into this, it um, it reminded me right away of um, Ogopogo sightings. Mm-hmm. And Ogopogo's, Ogopogo sightings are a little bit more specific. Like, it's it's always a serpent, you know, but it varied in terms of, like, the size, the, yeah. the head. Some people said it was, like, the, the head of a dog. Some said it was the head of a horse. Yeah, the color. Mm-hmm. Some said it, it had hair, like a mane. And we saw oh, that true. in the... Um, at the Indigenous History Museum with, like, the that artwork done of it, yeah. and there was antlers on it and things like that. So yes. it's, like, there's almost these elements of these creatures that are more mythological, like, with horns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it just made me think about the Ogopogo because the description of the bunyip is, like, the head of the dog, right? Yeah. Like, that immediately was, like, a similarity there. The tusks having horns on it. It's, like, those are kind of more... Yep. More those, dragon-like features, right, maybe. And, yeah. Yeah, and there's some crossover there. And then when you get into the other stuff, like duckbill 
you know, whether it has flippers or doesn't have flippers, it's almost like those are your, they're sightings of different things. That almost reminds me of like a weird platypus or something. Yeah, like a, a monstrous platypus. Are platypuses still around? Yeah, of course. Where are they? Good question. Someone show me a platypus. Aren't they in Australia? Ah, maybe like, they are. <laughs> I feel like that's sure. the perfect like, place for them. Those like the weird I'm fairly, stuff I'm there. fairly sure. <laughs> anyway. Australia is the best, though. People that come from there, like, every time you meet someone from there, it's just like... They're always so fun. They're always so fun. They're always so chill. You're just like, how are you so cool? But like, surprisingly, the people we asked, like, we asked quite a few um, Australians that we've kind of come across in the last, like, little bit, and not very many people had ever heard of the Bunyip, mm. which was surprising. And my sister was just there recently traveling for, for her uh, school, mm-hmm. and uh, she asked around a lot, too, and she was actually down south. Like, she was in the Victoria area, mm-hmm. which is would would have been in... This is the exactly this is the, right in the this part is the, of it. Yeah, neck of the woods, and not that common. You know, it's actually curious too, because we I was driving around a couple of Australians a few weeks ago. Uh, I was their chauffeur for a wine tour, mm-hmm. and they had an interesting story. the um, The guy he actually grew up in the northern part of Australia. And so that's kind of, like, known as, like, the sort of, like, the backlands, the hinterlands, the more wild area. It's not, uh, it's more wooded, less of, like, just, like, the tundra, like you see in those classic photos and stuff. But he had an interesting story about how one time he was hunting with his dad and a couple of other friends, I think. I think he was actually with a couple of Aborigines. Okay. And they... If I remember him correctly, because we were drinking wine. (laughs) If I remember correctly, he said that there was one instance where they were in the woods and they heard this booming call, like a roar, like a crazy, like deep, just, I don't know, something out of this world. Like it caught them off guard. Definitely. And (laughs) his, his, uh... The people he was with, they kind of just nonchalantly refer to it as the Bunyip. Really? And they kind of just moved along. They're like, okay, well. Just uh, just like it's just uh, almost like how uh, the Sasquatch is regarded yes. or things like that. It's just, that is what it is. We don't question it. Exactly. Kind of, that is very interesting. And actually, we didn't yes. make that point, but that is one of the characteristics that despite the, the variations in how it looks, mm-hmm. the bellowing sound, like a a, a blood curdling like roar some describe it as like a shriek yeah sometimes it's more shrill sometimes but it's but always it's, unsettling it's, it's mo- most often described as a booming call mm-hmm. so i don't even really know how to imagine what that sounds like it's like when you hear booming it makes me think like you know like the roar of a lion but like not like one continuous sound it's almost like a like a pulsating yeah like a like a bass you know yeah. what I mean? like a pulsating echoing like, through almost the like land almost like uh, maybe elements of infrasound to it, right? Giving people yeah. an unsettling feeling oh, yeah. or whatever, right? That would be so effective if you're trying to intimidate things and trying to, like, mark your territory. Because that's what I kind of imagine that being. Uh, sort of like a call to be like, hey, like almost like how owls do, like, you know, at night yeah. kind of like, or whatever, like a lot of birds do that, a lot of creatures, just to let other things know that they're in the area. Right. And that's their territory. That makes sense. Yeah. So cool, though. <laughs> I just, I don't know why, it just popped in my head. I was searching around on YouTube trying to find, like, bunyip sightings and mm-hmm. stuff. And I came across this one. It was the balding bunyip. 
<laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> showing yeah. his humor. <laughs> it was just a guy. It was, it was just like, like just a guy, guy dressed like a caveman or something, and he just like walks past these two boulders, and it's like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they should have called it a yaoi, not a bunyip. I think yeah. they had that kind of confused. Yeah, I think so too. But it's it's mildly entertaining if you're on YouTube and you're bored. <laughs> just to look we can up, add it you know. to the channel, I guess, if people want to see. <laughs> so anyway. But to break this down, to try to narrow this down a little bit more, there mm-hmm. are basically, there's two kinds of bunyip sightings that are more predominant than others. Mm-hmm. The first one being the more common of the two, which is the dog-faced bunyip. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I just said before, similar to like the Ogopogo, when I say dog face, it's like tip, It has you know, a snout and snout. it's kind of more yeah. square. Right. I feel like it's more like dragon-esque. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it reminds me, I saw one image of, like, the, of, I don't know if it was, like, um, I don't think it was painting. I think it was a photograph, and I think they had just uh, taken almost, like, you know, those Chinese dragons? Yeah. And it was just coming out, like, it's, like, uh, its head was coming out, and it had, like, this big um, fanning of, like, a, a membrane, like, similar to, like, how lizards do when they, like, oh, okay. flare yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. can't remember the type of lizard. Like about. the one in Jurassic Park that sprays Newman yes, in the face or whatever. exactly yeah. like that. And it was kind of just coming out of the water, and it, it was more like a dragon, but sort of dog-like features, right? Like the snout, like, yeah. you know, yeah. everyone knows what a dog looks like. No, but, just to be, but just to be specific, though, because it's, yeah. like, it's not a shih tzu poodle you know what i mean it's, it's like a, yeah it's not yeah it's not a pug they don't have any snow but then you get a description where it's like a stomach mouth so that reminds me of a pug <laughs> it's like what does that a even look like stomach mouth that that's mean? a creepy description that's weird it's almost like alien right where it's like the mouth comes out of the mouth or something yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no you know, yeah, no yeah yeah no <laughs> like the um no you're thinking of like uh it was like Family Guy or something did a stupid parody from Alien and it was like the never ending like tongue. Oh it's yeah. Like the tongue comes out and then the tongue has <laughs> another tongue and then that one has another or something like that. Anyway. The extension. The never ending extensions of the tongue. So the dog faced bunyip is is kind of the most common and it has a shaggy coat. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely got like matted hair, fur of some kind. The second is a long neck bunyip. So mu- more similar to like a plesiosaur type thing, mm. but at the same time, this long-necked bunyip is still seen having a mane and shaggy coat. So and the tail is always included in that, too. Right. So that, that part to tail. me is like, how are, you know, there's a discrepancy <laughs> in the descriptions of size based on what you're actually seeing. Like, you can see the tail, you can see a long neck, but then it's like, some of the sightings, it's like, oh, well, it was about the size of a baby calf, or oh, it was, you know... Some mm. of them range up a little bit bigger, and we'll give examples in a sec. But it's just this, it's just very cryptic. Very. Because each sighting's different. Yeah. Like yeah. flippers, a horse tail, tusks, shaggy the, hair or feathers. Like, like how do you mistake feathers? Why would a subaquatic creature have feathers? Right. Well, only well. Here's the thing: it could be only or is partly it like, aquatic. Like it could be a semi-aquatic creature. Okay. So like a hippo. Right or something like along those lines. I'm almost imagining like the feathers of a ostrich or something. Well, I mean, there's like dinosaurs had feathers. Oh, true. Right? Isn't that like one of the one of the sort of more modern? Ooh, is it? I believe it is, and that and that. Oh my gosh! It just popped up in my. I didn't even. I literally just said, "Did dino?" And then the rest of it popped up. That's creepy. Well, a lot of people. I think Google's reading my mind now. Oh Oh, dear. And we need Brian and Angelo on that. Hey, can Google read your mind now? Has tech gone that far these days? <laughs> Every time, well, you just had blood work done. They probably just put a chip in there. 
Mm. There you go. They were really fast. Mm. You're too fast. It's like, you're not even taking anything out. Suspicious. It says here, Siberian discovery suggests all, almost all dinosaurs were feathered. So there you this go. This is so from National Geographic. Let's see the date on this one, though. Just so we're totally clear. Oh, this is from 2014. So mm. it's a few years old. But, okay. still yeah. Still relatively it, modern. I feel though. like it's still a, a, a relative, irrelevant theory, I should say. Well, and I think it's just safe to say that at least even if not all of them did, some of them definitely did. And mm-hmm. if we are going to believe that this is possibly a, yeah, like a, a species that's gone unextinct and evolved, mm-hmm. maybe the feathers thing makes sense. And did you say uninstinct? Unextinct. Unextinct. <laughs> Does that make, is that a word? <laughs> Non-extinct. <laughs> Everyone thought it was extinct, but it actually wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Next we're going to be discovering the dodo bird again. <laughs> hey, never know. <laughs> oh, that'd be man. awesome, actually, if we found the dodo bird again. That'd be a cel- that'd be time to celebrate, you know what I'm saying? It really would. Really, really would. So There's an interesting quote here. Did you want to read that? Um, yeah. Where are we at here? Is that the mythology one you're mm-hmm. looking at? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So this kind of refers to the territory of the Bunya. Yeah. I'll just read it out. It's from mythology.net, so this is definitely not a peer-reviewed source. But again, um, it's kind of hard to find those when you're talking Bunya. We had a few, but There it's... was a few. Yeah. And then we had a couple books that mentioned it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, yeah, again, it's from mythology.net. So, quote, The Bunyip's territory is far-flung, with sightings of him reported all over the Australian continent. Hmm, so not just in the southern area. Sorry, that was an end quote. This, this can't... Yeah, sorry, you finish the quote, yes. and then we'll go. <laughs> okay, quote, He dwells in swamps, lakes, rivers, and even in aquatic environments that routinely drain during the dry season, like water holes and billabongs. Hmm. Although he is typically considered to be an aquatic creature, he has been sighted lumbering over land as well. End quote. Interesting. That's interesting, so that's, yeah. So I thought that, that that's why we included it was because of that last part there. Lumbering over land as well. Mm-hmm. And the thing with it being sighted, reported all over the Australian continent, that's where we get into the 1800s. Because mm. the the first, like the first, you know, wave of settlers would have been in the, the late 1700s, right? And nobody was really established until a little bit after that that's when you get sightings reported all over the Australian continent, right? Because people have heard of the story now. So mm. all through the 1800s was the was 100 years of crazy numbers of bunyip sightings. And that okay. first 30 years from like 1780 through into the first decade of the 1800s was when people were getting to know what it was. And it was just an, it was an Aboriginal legend, an isolated Aboriginal legend. Okay. Or story. I mean... Or so true story, had, whatever you want to think of. Once they had the reference point, that's when we got, yeah, like you're saying, like yeah. a big sort of uh, wave of sightings. Right. That didn't really, that, yeah, it was kind of concentrated in the mid, mid-1800s, mid right? Yeah. Starting in like the 1820s. Pretty kind of, much. And it went it came, up to the 1870s. And it was concentrated in a few specific areas at first. It was like Lake George area, the Lake Bathurst area, and some surrounding areas around that. And the reason that those were significant were because there were fines at them. Not just sightings, but some paleontology fines that we'll get into in just a mm. sec. Okay. Are we are we going there now? I mean, we have the... I mean, yeah. We've, we have the Aboriginal lore versus the modern conception. Yeah, so that is interesting to me because in, yeah, the more traditional um, Indigenous lore, there is a lot more emphasis on the 
threat, right? Mm. It's perceived as something that will will attack and will kill. And there is accounts where, yeah, exactly that has happened. A woman, we'll get into the details of that uh, in, a, in a sec, but yeah, essentially this, there's been deaths reported where people were attacked. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because when you get into the modern conception, a lot of the theories that tie are tied to the bunyip make it seem as if it is a little bit more of a herbivore, a little bit more of a benign sort of creature. Right. Something similar to, yeah, like a... Like a wombat, basically. At the same time, in the same breath. Let's think about this here, because even if it is an herbivore, it does not mean that it's not aggressive. You get that all the time. You get that with hippopotamuses. Yeah. You get that with... Very true, actually. With... With, I don't even know. <laughs> all, all her, all, a lot. But of what about rhinos? Rhinos will charge or, you. Or just, or omnivores, right? Or exactly that, right? yeah. Where you're, but there definitely isn't any accounts of it being a man-eater. Not any conclusive evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anything, I feel like a lot of these attacks um, have the characteristic of protectionist sort of a measure. Right. Like, you know what I mean? On the part of the creature. Like, either maybe it's too close to a nest, like the person that's attacked, or... Or perhaps just yeah, they're just territorial. That actually like, makes a lot, well, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because yeah. if you're if you're seeing it at a sh- you know near the water's edge at a swamp or a billabong, then that's going to be <laughs> very close to where its nest <laughs> is. Excuse me, excuse uh, me, you're just a little bit close. Um, you're in my bubble. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I mean, a juniper berries. I'm a big personal bubble here, guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just need a lot of room. <laughs> well, clearly. <laughs> clearly. Nobody ever sees it, so he must. Yeah. Need, that's I, interesting. I, the whole description of the billabong as a draining. I didn't realize that was a thing yeah i don't really know much about bill bombs i mean i feel like it's just a glorified watering hole so this is the by the sounds of it (laughs) (laughs) that sometimes dries up with a fancy name yeah yeah that's so australian though seeming like you know they've got all sorts of hilarious names i was on google maps just trying to get a try to get my bearings on where some of these early explorers were exploring yeah. <laughs> some of the regions I, just, I can't even remember them now but i was just like these are so entertaining like i just i would love to live there and just have to be like oh i'm just going to this in this region or you know what i mean like the only sure. funny things we have around here is like walla walla washington like you know like we don't have and that's not even in canada no it's not even ours oh, oh actually it. though the australians that i was touring around they had a hell of a time pronouncing uh, town in oh the... Chilliwack. Hey, you gave it away. Oh, sorry. How, but how they pronounce it though was so funny. Chilliwack. Yeah. Chilliwack. Yeah. Chilliwackers. Chilliwack. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so entertaining. Yeah. They were such a oh, such a good time. They had their little cute baby. I loved it. Oh my gosh. I hope he's doing okay. Grayson. Shout out to Grayson. Shout outs. Yeah. So, oh. but we we're basically at the point here where the. Like in the in the late 1700s, there was the first wave of Europeans, and that's where the sort of the story started to branch out, right? Like, mm-hmm. and what I kind of thought at first was like, I mean, obviously Europeans, you know, getting off a ship in a new place, you're going to be seeing things, and they're going to seem really crazy. So when somebody tells you a story about a creature like the bunyip, even if it sounds way way out of left field, like at this point in time, they probably were still going to at least entertain the idea, and that's exactly what they did. So. They, they, there were people that, I mean, they, they, they were warning their explorers to, like, watch out for this thing, right? It wasn't like a... They weren't going in blind. Yeah, it wasn't uh, like, oh, that's just the crazy savages that, uh, you know, believe that there's some monster out there, right? That's interesting that there was such a reverence then, like, you know, and an authority 
from the lore. Like, yeah. You know? Well, and I feel like it had to do with just the fact that like you're looking out and you see a kangaroo and you're mm-hmm. like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And then you look over somewhere else and you're like, that's the biggest spider I've ever seen. Mm. You're seeing all these real animals that and are so platypuses. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see some of those. Actually, no doubt. Maybe some of these sightings were just of like a platypus. But the build ones. Oh, this is really... Sorry, I'm total side note No, here. no, go for it. I just had to just look up settlement patterns of Australia. Yep, it was definitely concentrated in the southeastern quadrant of right. okay. the area. So yeah. we were right then. So Adelaide, uh, you get Melbourne, Sydney, yeah. Brisbane, all of those. And actually, one of the early explorers that we're going to mention right in a second here, he he was the first to trace that route right between Melbourne and Sydney. And so that's what took him into Bunyip territory. Bunyip territory, man. Bunyips. I just, oh, I can't get enough of it. Bunyips. <laughs> I just want to run his one, please. <laughs> so, I mean, so we're going to take a quick break here. But before we do, just to reiterate, the evidence was kind of not really, there's not a ton of evidence. There was mostly oral, oral tradition. Mm-hmm. But there were definitely some cave drawings and artwork that depicted things that you know, some have been like, this This makes sense that this could mm-hmm. be the bunyip yeah. or a depiction of something that's like the bunyip. But the thing is, is that, like we said at the beginning, the ancestors of these Australian, Australian Aboriginal people in this area, they go back tens of thousands of years to the era of megafauna. And so the question is whether or not this is a lingering memory of much larger animals or are some of these much larger animals still around? Mm. so we'll get into that after the break but before we do we have a little promo for a really awesome show uh, by a friend of ours named chris it's called the dash of science and it's just it's a really great show they cover all kinds of different scientific topics it's dedicated to breaking down some stuff that's really well known and some stuff that's not at all so if you have any questions in science it's just like it's just a super fun show it's so educational yeah Mm. it's a good companion to a show like ours where Mm -hmm. it's just kind of all craziness and paranormal so (laughs) so take a listen to a promo for a dash of science and we'll be right back hey everyone chris here from a dash of science you ever wonder how we evolved from apes even though there's still apes around can't figure out why we don't have a cure for cancer or why we aren't gene splicing the hell out of everything Maybe you find yourself wondering why we aren't going to Mars yet, or how come we're not headed full throttle towards all those habitable planets that NASA's found. If any of these feel familiar to you, or you just enjoy hearing about science, technology, engineering, and medicine, then come check us out. At A Dash of Science, we take these topics and put them in a chokehold until they submit, until you get all the answers you never knew you wanted. So make sure you check us out at your favorite podcasting app, or visit us directly at dashofscience.com. And we're back. Mm-hmm. So make sure to go check out A Dash of Science and yeah. give those guys a review and a subscribe. Definitely. I'd highly recommend it. Super informative. And they just, yeah, they're very uh, personal and just entertaining too, right? Definitely. Like, you know, I love the music he used for his <laughs> Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to start getting into some of the sightings because these are interesting. Yeah, sightings and, and evidence. Some and evidence because yes. there's... There's, it's a, it's fleeting, mm-hmm. the evidence, but, uh, you know, I'm of the mind after we've been looking into this, that there's definitely something there. 
there's definitely, there's something that people are seeing, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, like a lot of cryptid creatures, it's probably 99% of the time, it's just a miss sighting, something that's real, but there's got to be something else going on. So, and it's sort of supported, right, by the, um, not fossil evidence, but the cave drawings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Megafauna I mean, era. Like we, we didn't mention that. Hey, no, like, like we'll get in, that, we kind of, that, that sort of comes we'll up get in into this. It. We're getting into it right now. Right, the second. <laughs> well, it starts with this find, right? So this was, this... 1818, there was this guy by the name of Hamilton Hume, Mm -hmm. and he was an explorer, British explorer, and uh, he was working with a a guy by the name of James Meehan. So, James Meehan. So, who are these guys? Because I honestly, I was just like, for me, it was a little decontextualized when I was first looking at this story, mm -hmm. and I just wanted to get a better picture of who these two individuals were. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was very interesting. Uh, Hamilton Hume. Hamilton Hume. What a name. So yeah. proper. Yeah, so he was one of the earliest explorers of present-day Australian states. So he was the guy that I kind of alluded to uh, just a second ago when I said that he basically, um, he was one of the first that participated in an expedition that took him on an overland route from Sydney to Port Phillip, which is now the Crazy. site of present-day Melbourne. Okay. Yes. So... It's in the southeast tip of Australia, so I thought that was interesting. Again, yeah. that's where the largest concentration of settlers were in the area. Right. And so on the flip side, you get James Meehan, who was an Irish-Australian explorer and surveyor, and right. he actually came as a political prisoner in February of 1800. Huh. Yeah, which is interesting because um, less than two months later, he actually became an assistant to Charles Grimes, who was a surveyor general, and that is what took him to Hamilton Hume, and they actually ended up Hooking up, or not hooking up, but partnering up. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think they were that kind of partners. Oh, you never know. But, uh, yeah, you never know. But, uh, yeah, a lot of time alone. Uh, a little bit of a broke back mountain situation. You never know. You never know. Uh, but, but yeah, but so, they, they, so they were exploring and yeah, you, yeah, you pick like, up the story there. Sure, so they, they basically found what would be the jumping off point for real hard evidence that the bunyip was potentially a real creature. The stories at this point had already been circulated, and these guys were aware of the dangers of different creatures and the places they were going, but they weren't expecting to find anything to prove it. And sure enough, when Hamilton Hume and James Meehan were in the area of Lake Bathurst in New South Wales, it was a super remote, at the time, remote area, and they came across massive bones that were unidentified. They didn't know what they were. They described the remains as indicating some type of creature that was very much like a hippopotamus or a manatee. Oh. So quite large, quite large. And, and yeah, clearly something that was, yeah, that, I mean, it was right by the lake. They, they made that assumption that it was a semi-aquatic or an aqua or fully aquatic Mm -hmm. remains of a creature, which is pretty cool. So, but here's the thing. (laughs) They came back and reported this, um, but they didn't actually bring the bones back. And uh, when they were actually, like, commissioned to go back to get them, they they never ended up doing it. They basically just really? continued on. They, they wrote it down, they surveyed, they but they didn't... So they just left them? They didn't pack it up and... Ca- I guess I'm assuming, like, obviously, they're, you're exploring in the 1800s. You maybe don't have a lot of uh, room to kind of just, like, pack around some massive manatee bones with you. Guess, you know what I mean? they're like, big, yeah. You're trying to survive out there, so yeah, it's like... Yeah, you don't really want something like that to slow you down. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I get that, but unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately they, for our podcast episode, <laughs> they did not yeah. take it with them. I wonder, man, like, 
I wonder what the decay rate of of dead things is in Australia because it can be it can be a mix, right? It could be quite dry, could have these marshy areas, so you could get uh, accelerated decomp, or you could get um, mummified things in some instances. Right. That's, yeah, that's very interesting. Though, yeah, that. like this was the quote from Meehan. It was, found the head and some bones of a skeleton of a large animal, which I suppose to be to be amphibious. Hmm. Hamilton Hume found another of the same a little bit behind. At 10 miles, the land uh, begins to be nearly clear on the west side of the ponds. Blah, 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 blah. So, <laughs> yeah, hmm. they, they, bo- they both found bones at different sites. What? So they both, so there was two creatures then. Yeah, unless it was scattered bones of the same thing. The question is, what could this have been? So is the are is so mm. that that was the thing they came back and told and reported that they had found these bones mm-hmm. and people were just sort of assuming that it was a bunyip because they said it looked to be an, an amphibious mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So of course people are going to jump on that. The thing is, is that what ended up being the kind of predominant theory and actually still is today for these bones is that they could have been the remains of a megafauna era creature called the diprotodon. Diprotodon? Diprotodon. Diprotodon. Diper. Diprotodon. Diprotodon. I think it's diprotodon. That sounds Ooh, dino- that, that sounds, sounds good. Cool. I like that. Diprotodon. Diprotodon. Which is, Boom. or was rather, unless you believe that their ancestors possibly are still alive, <laughs> was the largest known marsupial to have ever lived. So just absolutely massive. And how big is this thing? It <laughs> how so, big? So Two meters. Of, yeah. Jeez, six point feet tall. Six point six feet. Sorry, that's crazy. Large and in charge. Wow, over six thousand pounds. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. 2,800 kilograms. Female skeletons have been found with babies located where the mother's pouch would have been. What? Very interesting. So literally the size of a hippopotamus. Whoa. So they're massive. The question is, is like, we've, you know, it's like the Wahila in the Northwest Territories. It's like the Sasquatch. It's like all these things. If, how can something so big go unnoticed? Yeah. But if you're semi-aquatic, at least that gives you a little bit of extra hiding territory. Yeah. You can kind of camouflage. You can Literally, you could have like, yeah, like a uh, over 3,000 pound animal and just have his eyes poking up. Right. And then this is where, (laughs) (laughs) this is where the rock art's been found too, right? So Queensland, Victoria, these areas, there's been Aboriginal rock art art images that depict these diprotodons. And... Oh, I love the way you're saying that now. Yeah. (laughs) It's so much more They inhabited (laughs) the open forest and woodlands and grasslands, possibly staying close to water and eating leaves, shrubs, and some grasses. So, they're certainly... Hmm. They certainly weren't man-eaters. They were herbivores. So, that lends itself to the more modern perception of a bunyip. Definitely. And they weren't aquatic, but the belief is that they obviously stayed close to water. Obviously, everything needs to drink. But if you believe that it could have stayed alive, it could have evolved... Maybe evolved into the water. That is so fascinating. So that's the first one. So that's the Hume find, 1818. Okay, then, and then the, the supposed theory to go along with that. Yeah. Then we sort of... It's it's actually pretty shortly after that. It's only 12 years later where there's another set of uh, bones found in Wellington. So this is the Wellington Cave Fossils of 1830. Hmm. So this is kind of the next, the next evolution in the Bunyip story and the search, I guess you would say. Did you want to take this one? <laughs> I can do it. I'll take it, man. Do it. I'll take it and run. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, these, 
Wellington cave fossils again. Yeah, so early, right? 1813? 1830. Or sorry, 1830. My bad. Um, yeah, so they were basically pretty excited because this was something much larger than known animals. Things larger than an ox, a buffalo, and they did figure it to be some sort of quadruped. Right. So quadruped, I, I don't know if that's just a very loose interpretation. If you need four feet, if you can just have four limbs coming off in some way, or flippers. Yeah, or like, whatever. it was kind of vague as to, like, what that exactly was. Like, how, like, was it, yeah, like, was it a tall creature? Was it a stubby thing? Like, it, all they said was that it was right. like, larger than an ox. Well, but it's like, what was the shape? shape? Like, well, yeah. Because the other there... one was more specific. Is like, this looked like, all this is saying exactly. is larger than an ox. The other, the other Hamilton Hume find was it looked like a manatee. It yeah. looked like a hippopotamus. And it was actually longer than it was tall. It was three meters long yeah. in that case and two meters tall. Right. So. Very specific. It, yeah, again, not not as much specificities in this account. But basically, yeah, this guy, a reverend from Sydney, his, his name was uh, John Dunmore Lang. He announced that this find was convincing proof of the deluge, which I'm not even sure what he's referring to with that. <laughs> Actually, no, I know what he's referring to, because he's a reverend. He must be referring to the Great Flood. Yeah. But I don't even understand where that comes in, because it's like, wait a second, is he inferring that this very large creature was killed by the Flood, or... or Anyways. But anyways, yeah. there's another guy, a little bit more of a... maybe a more authoritative figure, and he was a British... an, an anatomist? Anatomist. 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 And His name was Sir Richard Owen, and he actually identified the fossils as belonging to giant marsupials. Uh, the Oh my gosh. Uh, how'd you say that again? The Diprotodon. Diprotodon. So he and... thought they was the same. But okay. some people didn't though. Uh yeah, yeah. So they thought they thought that it could be the bunyip again. Yeah. yeah so basically it was like you ended up with another set of bones. This guy identifies it as being Yeah, and I think like what you just read there with like this like Reverend John Dunmore, or whatever, convincing proof. I think they were <laughs> they were looking for proof of the bunyip. Like, right? Like, I don't know. I think maybe that's a typo. Because that was uh, the... What's like, a reverend, though? But this article was about the Bunyip. It wasn't about the Great Flood. <laughs> so I don't know where that came from. But anyway, That's what you on. get for looking at Wikipedia. Is that, a, is that from Wikipedia? Definitely. We yes. try to avoid Wikipedia as much as possible. No, but it is it's cited, like it's cited point, in Holden, too. And that was another, another source that we sort uh, of... Um, and that... What was his first name again? It was... Uh, I thought he had the same name as the main character from um, <laughs> Robocatcher Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know, Amber. <laughs> Actually, no. Oh, my gosh. I had that totally wrong. The main character in Catcher in the Rye's name is Holden Caulfield. Great. Just so everyone knows. Great. Because that's relevant. Yeah. Amber was trying to remember these random things earlier. So there you go, everybody. There you go. Wonderful. So it wasn't actually... Yeah, Holden Caulfield, but it was a Holden. He wrote a book in 2001 all about the Bunyip and how it basically had this uh, mythology of fear behind it. Yeah. And how it had been, the the description has had changed and the uh, the sightings over the years. It was actually really interesting. I couldn't actually find it on uh, Google Books, like the preview, the mm-hmm. online preview, but I did get a very good synopsis on it. So Cool. Yeah. So he, again, I'm not sure where we're going with that. <laughs> no, no, I, no, like, well, just, just to kind of finish off, like, on this, this section here for 1930, like, I think the point that's kind of interesting to me about this is, like, you have the one guy identifying it as the same 
you know, extinct marsupial species, right? But this is an era when we don't have DNA analysis, Mm -hmm. right? It's just guessing. It's just Mm -hmm. looking at bones and guessing. So it very well could have been from something different. The other thing that just this makes me think of is it's just kind of we're taking physical evidence and kind of juxtaposing it with this oral tradition and this story. And it doesn't match up in the same ways that we see other monster or create, you know, other stories like this in other places. So like, again, I'll come back to the Ogopogo. The Ogopogo never evolved into being something that was feared. It stayed the same for 10,000 years. It was it had a, a very specific sp- cultural purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if this, if there's oral traditions of a herbivore marsupial diprotodon, it seems very strange to me that over the centuries, millennium, that would evolve into being a man-eating monster. Unless that it, seem unless again, it was serving a very specific cultural purpose, where it's almost like you know, um, sometimes in the south in the U.S., people will warn of witches and swamps that'll get kids and stuff like that, and it's it's just more. It's supposed to be sort of like an Aesop's fable, where you know what I mean. Like it's just a, a moral thing where it's like, don't go into the swamp, don't go into this or that, because. You're gonna get eaten. No, I get that though, but it's like this is Australia. There's already enough real stuff that's gonna kill you. Why would you have to make up a fable? You know what I mean? Like that's well, not, that sounds like a but Eurocentric. All fables thing. are based on something. That sounds very Eurocentric, though. Like that doesn't sound like Aboriginal oral tradition to be like, don't go down to the pond or you'll drown. But you know that, what I mean? that's just it, though. It's so well woven into the the storytelling traditions and stuff that maybe it's perhaps. True. It's not, it's not, yeah, you're right. I come from a European white settler background, so well, of course every, all of do. my reference points come from that. Of course. But yeah, no, I know, I could just see it maybe serving a specific purpose. Right. And yes, everything, everything in sort of like mythology and stuff has some sort of basis in reality. Yeah. Whether it be the booming call of something unknown. Right, whether it right. be a mysterious large thing lurking in the shadows or something and you know like people can draw on that and they can create whatever they want out of it so i don't know maybe this is a very similar but you're going back to what you're saying about how like the the evidence like you know like the physical evidence and then the mythologies don't really add up i feel like that's a lot more common than than what like you know like it's maybe it's you get that all over the... And, and even with the Ogopogo, right? For another example, just to, to compare. Yeah. You don't get any physical evidence. All the... Well, there was that one little small body that washed up on shore, but that was later determined to be a uh, a salmon or something. It was some sort of fish. Yeah, they thought it was like an infant of... Uh, an infant yeah, Ogopogo. Yeah. But it was something else. It was just like a deformed something else yeah yeah well but you get that all over right that's a very common feature with these types of cryptic creatures and yeah stuff and yeah i guess so hey <laughs> and it's so funny because there was again again another well there was first there was a, a, a the geelong advertiser i know what a name eh? the so, geelong <laughs> so the the geelong advertiser was one of the first newspapers in australia and i, I don't know if it's still circulating but it was in victoria but 1845 was one of the first years where the the bunyip was actually like published. Mm-hmm. Like it was there was works published talking about it. Talking about the sightings, talking about the evidence. Yeah, like it was just becoming a cultural. It was just it was cultural knowledge. You know what I mean? So yeah, sightings okay. and evidence. I mean, this is the 1840s, so you have to think yellow journalism. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you're gonna latch onto a story about a monster, right? Yeah, uh, I gotta run with that. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Yeah, so this is when it kind of started to crop up and, uh, you know, but at the same time, like a lot of them weren't, you know, they're not super sensationalist articles or anything like that from what I glanced at. There was nothing that I wanted to include quotes from because it wasn't that profound. It was kind of just like, oh, so-and-so saw something that thought it might be a bunyip or... And then a few years down the road, oh, literally one year down the road, uh, 1846, there's another piece of physical evidence. Right. And that's, again... Uh, up for debate as to because it's not in existence anymore right like well, that we know the, of yeah. it probably is in someone's personal collection somewhere and they're just like this is a bunion <laughs> <laughs> do you want to take this one <laughs> well like, sh- <laughs> i can do it so <laughs> no i don't know you're so funny take it just take it yeah sure i'll take it i'll take it take it take it there was the fletcher skull and this was a very strange skull that was found in ni- 1846 sorry and again it was actually put on display in a museum in australia and it was found on the banks of a river. Oh, I'm going to love saying this. The Murrumbidgee River. Nice. The Murrumbidgee. The Murrumbidgee. Sorry, Murrumbidgee. I'm I'm, <laughs> yeah, that I actually Googled right. Australia on Google Maps because I was like, I need to come up with something. Like the Kudamundra. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> the Bururwa. The Ghoulbum. <laughs> Ghoulbum. <laughs> Sorry, these are all like maybe areas or towns but anyway so we're going oh my god we're just butchering our geography here you're making us sound (laughs) not smart no i'm just these are just all really random little areas in that sort of pocket in the southeast quadrant that we're talking about it's all relevant but i was when i was initially doing my google map search i was just like what is this place like there's so many funny things but getting back to the murumbinji river skull um yeah multiple aboriginal groups declared that this was indeed the skull of a bunyip but, of course, scientists would disagree. They said it was either the skull of a deformed cow or oxen. That's just BS, man. Yeah. It's just, I don't like that at all. You know, we actually saw photos of it, right? And it definitely did not resemble any sort of cow skull that I'm familiar with. No. I've, I've, I've sketched a number of cow skulls, and I know what they look like. Yeah, like they say not... deformed cow, but it would have to be How significantly deformed. deformed are we talking yeah. here? Because like, that is like very <laughs> unrecognizable cow. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe a subaquatic cow? Hmm. Yeah, no, like the sketch of <laughs> subaquatic cows. Well, hey, hippopotamus, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I uh yeah, the sketch of it, um it looks more like a like the head of a dog. Like, right? So mm-hmm. kind of like the original descriptions, like where the, where like, the, jaw, fo- the forehead like a... comes down kind of drastically and then yeah. almost like a snout that goes yeah. out. And we'll include this uh, image on the website and we'll, we'll definitely be posting on social media for promotion for the show. Mm-hmm. So you'll definitely get a chance to see it. You can Google it as well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really look like a cow or oxen. And I feel like it's obviously kind of pretty easy way out in 1846 because you, you can make that claim. Yeah, it's not a bunyip. It's an oxen. But you don't have to back it up because there's nothing to back it up with. No. Yeah, you just say it's deformed and then there's no other... You can't do a DNA analysis. You can't carbon date stuff. You can't do anything. No. So it's just... This is guessing, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just what the authority says, what the authority goes, and that's it. But, nah, I don't know if I buy it, but, you know, this was the 1800s, so, you know, it was a different time. It was the 1800s and it was the heyday of of these and the area that we're dealing era that we're dealing with right now 1845 46 47 the mid 1800s this was like the heyday so literally again just the following year there was a sighting mm-hmm. this was an it was anonymous there was okay. a quote published in the same newspaper so this was in the Geelong advertiser mm-hmm. and it basically read like this it was about as big as a 6 month old calf 
This was what they could see in the water. Of dark brown color, a long neck, and long pointed head. It had large ears which pricked up when it perceived him, the herdsman, who supposedly saw him, had a thick mane of hair from the head down to the neck and two large tusks. So here we go with the tusks again. Mm-hmm. He turned to run away, and this creature, equally alarmed, ran off too, and from, from the glance he took at it, he describes it as having an awkward, shambling gallop. The four quadrants <laughs> of an animal were very large in proportion to the hind quadrants, and it had a large tail. Large so I thought that gallop. was interesting because What's that, an awkward shambling gallop? Well, I don't know exactly, but that implies to me something that doesn't live on land. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Yeah. I'm still I'm I'm more buying into the idea that this is like a a huge platypus. I'm going with that. But anyway, sorry, we're not getting to our conclusions yet. But the more I, the more descriptions and the more we kind of like talk about this, I'm just like this and I'm looking at a platypus right now online, so yeah. <laughs> it looks like it could be something related to that. Oh, the God. shambling gallop. <laughs> what a description, I know, right? I love it. I love it. Oh, man. Oh, anonymous, though, hey? Like, there was just nothing to... Yeah, there was no name. It was just... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. I know, right? That's not... Well, I guess... Oh, man. It's, it's fascinating to me that there's such a large concentration of sightings in this particular time period. I guess this was the first influx. There was, yeah, the first generations. Everyone's kind of flooding in and and discovering this and slowly... Yeah, and people were impressionable because they were seeing real crazy animals and stuff. But at the same time, like, I want to flip this around, do a 180 here, because I feel like we're kind of teeing it up to say that, you know, it was the mid-1800s, so people were obviously going to, like, run wild with a story of a monster. But it's like... I'm not really leaning that way. Okay, well, neither am I. Neither am I. I just don't want to give off that impression. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people think that about when we look back in the past, right? Oh, we're looking at the 1700s. People believed in witchcraft, so therefore you can't trust anything anybody says about believing in witchcraft, right? Mm -hmm. I don't buy into that. I feel like even nowadays, 2018, like we're so like, our brains are just flooded with stimuli. Like we're, I'm, I'm more likely to believe in something that's not real probably than somebody in the 1850s. You know what's weird? The things that we would believe that's real that isn't are probably so much more mundane than... You know what I mean? Like I wonder, hey. I don't know. I mean, we have some ev- references to what people would be thinking yeah. back then from books and stuff, right? Like, when we look at, like... I mean, this, would, this is getting flooded. into the era of, like, the Dr. Moreau's and, the, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Dr. Moreau! Oh my gosh, I was listening to Double Density the other day with Brian and Angelo. <laughs> with Brian, I was just hanging out just with Brian and Angela. Them, yeah. yeah, and they uh, they had a bit on Moreau and stuff. Oh, really? Dogman and all that. It was really cool. Very cool. Yeah. If you guys haven't checked out Double Density, I'd highly recommend it. It's a really awesome mix of paranormal. There we go. It's a second second promo there. Ah, second promo. <laughs> We're not gonna play it, but yeah, that was my little that's my little bit on that. So this I, next one here, though, yeah, is kind of to me one of the best pieces of evidence. It's just a very direct account. I love this account. I love this guy's story. We just came across him in reference to this. And it was a man by the name of William Buckley. And he actually came over to Australia. Again, he was convicted of a crime that he actually wasn't guilty of, Mm -hmm. supposedly. Um, I'm not sure. Do you know what the crime was? It was theft. Oh. Um, It was theft and he was sentenced to 14 years. In the penal colony of Australia? Yeah. All right. So he, upon arrival, he actually escaped. And he... 
he became like full Bushman, man. Like he was out there. Um, supposedly what happened to him, he was just wandering, 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 uh, surviving on his own. He happened to come across a spear that was actually a grave marker for an Aboriginal grave. And so he took the spear and he was wandering through the woods and then, or in the woods, the whatever, the hinterlands, and he came across a group and the woman that he came across, it was actually one of her relative, her deceased relatives that they had buried and put the spear there as a marker. Oh. And you know what she did? She thought that he was a, um, a spirit, like uh, a reincarnated spirit of their dead one. And so he was highly revered when he came into their, uh, their settlement and he actually became an integral part of it. He actually is a expert marksman using their Aboriginal tools. Crazy. And by the time he actually ended up emerging 30 years, close over 30 years later, he was fully inducted. He almost reminds me of Call of the Wild or something. Or no, one of, one of that Mel Gibson movie was the one where it was like the... Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Drawing a blank. It's the one that Avatar was based off of, and everyone's like, oh, that was just a rip off of, not Call of the Wild, but Sundance? No, not the Sundance. Oh, Dances with Wolves? Dances with Wolves. That's Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Oh, right. Yeah. Screw Mel Gibson. I'm not a huge fan of that guy. No. But yeah, Kevin Costner and that whole thing. So yeah, he's basically full out Kevin Costner. Uh, expert. He actually, he was an expert in warfare too by the end of it, but he wasn't allowed to participate because he was this revered spirit from the afterlife comeback is how they, okay. how they interpreted his existence and his... What a life to I know, lead, right? Hey? Escape and from jail. Escape then... from jail. And then he ended up regaining contact with the colonial world, um, one day when the inhabitants, they told him of a ship that was passing and he ended up, uh, he emerged from the forest, <laughs> so it's described, wearing like lion fur, or no, not lion furs, there was some crazy like furs and everything. He's just like full, like the K Bushman guy yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sort of picturing, uh, what's his name from Wilson, not Wilson, but, uh, you know, the volleyball Wilson. Castaway. Castaway. Yeah, he's like a castaway. Just looking all disheveled. <laughs> well, <sir. laughs> uh, Yeah, I know. So anyways, he, yeah, he, he was basically, yeah, so that's his backstory. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he, uh, he came across the bunyip and he came across several accounts of it. He definitely right. believed it to be real. Yeah. He saw it with his own eyes. He said he had seen the back of the bunyip several times in swamps and marshes. Right. And he described it again as a creature about the size of a calf and what he described as having dusty gray feathers on its back, but he never saw the head of the beast. He only saw the back. Crazy. Very cool though. And he also, his account emphasized the supernatural powers of the creature right. because again, I feel like very similar to Ogopogo, it's got this sort of yeah, um, spiritual a... reverence and things like very that much going so. on. So yeah. And this again is where we get into the account. Uh, he described one, woman who was violently killed by a bunyip and she was just too close to the marsh and she ended up just yeah i don't know they don't actually describe it in full detail that i came across but you know what though i think there's that sketch like if anybody who googles the bunyip it'll be one of the first things you see is oh it's in the mouth yeah yeah and that's what that's from Mm. that's what that sketch is from Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense so anyway, if anyone's interested more in William Buckley, there is actually an excellent book by Tim Flan- Flannery, uh, written in 2002. It's called The Life and Adventures of William Buckley. So we will include that in those sources as well. Cool. Very interesting, though. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because, and, 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 yeah, because this is a direct account, you know? He came out of the bush, he did, he did an interview, more or less, like, mm. he talked to people, yeah. and then there was a book published about him later on in the 1850s. And he did his own autobiography, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, he was there. You know, he was there, he was a European, he was arguably the first, you know, white settler to actually see a bunyip, mm-hmm. because he was there in the earliest days of the, of the, the penal system there. And escaped almost instantly. <laughs> Sounded like he said the Pino system. Huh. It's like, oh, I wish. Dang, they're drinking some Pino. Well, there's so many jokes about shipping convicts to Australia, right? It's like, just take all your convicts and ship them to a beautiful, warm, tropical place with ripe mangoes and <laughs> and sunny beaches. <laughs> like, everyone else is in freaking foggy London. I know, miserable. right? Oh, they should have had that the reverse. They should have kept everyone in industrialized England. Yeah, and everybody else goes, goes go, down for go vacation. Go on vacay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. But yeah, no, I, I feel like that's uh, one of the better accounts. Totally. One of the that William accounts. Buckley, he is a character. Yeah, fascinating life. And like he, he, uh, he's really creepy looking. Uh, one yeah. portrait. And I don't know if we mentioned, but like he was, he was. I'm. There's no wonder that he was uh, seen as like a god or like as a second coming of that ancestor because he was six foot eight. He oh. was he was a massive dude. Whoa. Like six eight for back then is a big guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's. And he had big black hair, yeah, white he, skin. Super pale. He probably pale. looked like a ghost or an angel to yep. them or something. Yeah, very much so. He ended up taking two wives within the tribe. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was... And uh, he had at least one uh, child. Yes. Yeah, at least one. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. He had lots of time on his hands. Indeed apparently. he did. I guess he wasn't going to war, so... Uh, yeah. Just... He was just uh, <laughs> back with the ladies. Yeah. it up. Like so then shortly guy. after... <laughs> yeah so then a couple decades after that is kind of released so that's 1850s when his autobiography kind of like comes Mm. out is widely widely accessible Mm -hmm. and people are kind of getting this account being like wow like there was a and he was pardoned when he came out he wasn't ever reconvicted of his crimes or anything like that right so people kind of i think that obviously helped his case too you know what i mean and then again, a couple decades later, in 1872, there's another sighting, supposedly, this is where you, you read this earlier, and you're like, doesn't make any sense, because it said mm-hmm. it was half as long as a retriever dog, which, to me, it's only means like, black. It's, it's, it's what's sticking out of the water. True. Like That's actually a good neck way to or something, it. right? So, jet black, you can tell one is near if you hear a booming, roaring noises. So you need to pay attention to these noises, because they're notorious, notorious it's a symbol for them having a taste for human blood and flesh. That mm. is that is purely the legend. Oh, and then the little, it's like especially women and children. So mm. the more vulnerable aspects of society, therefore, again, sort of alluding to the Aesop fable kind of route, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, like, I totally... Oh, if you, if, yeah, if you're in that category. Cautionary tale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I did find... An, <laughs> we're basically just going through... I mean, we're just going through, I mean, in... in chronological order here the next one came from it was a post by lauren coleman actually crypto the renowned crypto cryptozoologist and this was just on cryptomundo.com and when i first read it it was kind of interesting i was like is this like a dramatic reinterpretation but it's basically just a repost of an article that was found uh, from november 26th 1881 and so even 1881 this is you know climbing up towards a hundred years after some of the earlier sightings and reports from Europeans and it basically says 
An unclassified animal popular, popularly called the bunyip is believed to exist in some parts of the interior of Australia. Its movements are as eccentric and its or its movements are as eccentric as its appearance as it, as its appearance is ill-defined. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Its movements are as eccentric as its appear and its appearance is as ill-defined. What? That doesn't even make sense. That's a bizarre sentence. I don't like that sentence. Anyway, <laughs> But there's a strong belief in its existence and the possibility of its eventual capture. So this is, that's it's interesting. It's referring to it as a sea serpent, hey? We missed that little bit. Yeah, it's what says very much like a sea serpent. Like, ill-defined like a sea serpent. Yeah. Yeah. The mm-hmm. bunyip, from all accounts, is of amphibious habitats, and when disturbed in its nocturnal... Don't even know what that says. <laughs> it takes refuge to the water. Oh, peregrinations. Yep. That reminds me of a peregrine falcon right there. And oh, yeah. I don't know why. Because uh. peregrinations literally means a journey, especially a long or meandering one. So, right. So there you go. <laughs> if everyone was wondering. Nocturnal wanderings. That makes sense. On terra firma, it takes refuge in the water. So again, we get the subaquatic right. sort of, or semi, semi-aquatic? Yeah. Yeah. It makes a noise like the roaring of a bull which has often been heard at a distance when the beast it's, it, itself was not at all visible. So it, it, the sound can travel a great distance, and this was just another stray newspaper article, almost like warning people. You know what I mean? Like almost just being like, hey, yeah. this is believed to be a real thing. This is interesting, too. It goes on to say that uh, it moves on four legs and leaves in the soft ground at the sides of the lake footprints consisting of four claw marks. That is consistent with a platypus, because platypuses have claws. I'm thinking this is a giant platypus. That's what I'm going with here. That's, I, I like it. I like that. But then theory. you get, yeah, there's the discrepancy between the dog face and then the bill, right? The duck-like bill. Mm-hmm. You can't have both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you can't have both. And you can't have, like, it's like I'm picturing some like motley family of bunyips that one has like more of a dog face one has more of a horse face one has more of a a bill face (laughs) they're all just like weird like (laughs) yeah oh that's so cute we should write a little short story about them oh we should actually yeah so but the other interesting part there though that i just wanted to point out was like the idea that there hadn't been any real expeditions to find it because but people still believed in its eventual capture and then sure enough in 1890, the Melbourne Zoo, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say Melbourne, I'm going to do this for the Australian friends, Melbourne. Oh. No R. There Melbourne. you go, everybody. The Melbourne Zoo Melbourne. launched an expedition to actually try to capture a bunyip in 1890. Cool. So they send people out into these areas of Lake George, um, kind of around Victoria. They followed reports, they were following supposed sightings and stuff like that, but of course, to no avail couldn't find it hmm. and actually just to go back to the skull because i wasn't sure i couldn't remember if we actually pointed out the skull got lost mm-hmm. did we mention that yeah yeah it's no okay. longer yeah, yeah it, it which is just, just the most dumb it's uh, it's like so frustrating it's just like the most classic thing we've we've come across this so many times it's like i want to know what that skull is how do you lose that it's not car keys yeah right like, like is it just it's, is it's it already sitting in, the museum? in a museum how do you it's mean? probably sitting in a museum and it was just mislabeled or just shuffled away it's probably in a box somewhere waiting to be uncovered by people like mike and frank and american pickers <gasps> they need to go to australia man <laughs> they to went australia. to they went to the uk they need to go to australia next very true not a lot of history well there is some history but again they always go for the more uh 
automobile related stuff. Yeah, I don't think they're really interested in. Why are we talking about American? I don't know because we're because <laughs> I love that show because we're strange individuals. I'm not really sure. I love it though. Oh, so that sounded like a fart. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah, you're chilling. It wasn't a fart though. <laughs> I honestly. Okay, wait. Before we sat down to record this, I had a moment where I was like, "Okay, we're like." 20 episodes in pretty much or like just under what, what are we at like, this, uh, this is episode 19 and i was like we have never had to edit out a fart <laughs> <laughs> we've never had to do it we've actually never had to edit out really anything like that no like at all in there's general. been some subtle coughing but yeah we're we're pretty good at stifling it and i just, guess our eyes are here we're watering like crazy we're just like oh, we're not gonna do it not oh gonna my cough. god that's so funny but that's, that's that's just a side note no fart hey, editing that in is impressive the portal yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> Round of applause. Great. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so to get back on track here, because we are kind of nearing the end. Yeah. But the 1890s was basically... I don't want to get to the end. I know, right? Mm-hmm. The 1890s was kind of when this started to... The wave of sightings kind of started to, like, trickle off a little bit. But the renowned cryptozoologist Bernard Huelvmans, who I believe was... Um, I Dutch, I think. Oh, yeah, that sounds Dutch. Anyway, he was still researching this in the 1930s, and there were still sightings trickling in even into the 1930s, and as recent as 1947. There haven't Whoa. really been anything conclusive after that. But what's interesting is that... Well, w- no, but we'd had the one account from, ah. from our friend over... Yeah. We heard the noise. Yeah. So that's Luke. let's say when we've been trying to look for modern stuff, it's really hard to find. Like, you couldn't, like, we couldn't find anything other than that, like, little anecdote there, which is Maybe they're very similar to Canadians, right? Like, how we were talking about uh, with the Charlie Red Star over with Rob at Our Strange Skies. Right. And how, like, he was like, why are there not as many UFO reports in Canada? You know what I mean? And, like, yeah. maybe it has to do with the culture. Maybe we're just a little more conservative. We, we see things. We don't actually report things a lot of the time. Yeah. Maybe in Australia. It's just more like, maybe it is just more every day where it's like, oh, yeah, that was a bunyip. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, who am I going to report that to? Right. Why? Why would I do that? Yeah. You just go about your day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was a bunyip and it's gone. Very so, much like Sasquatch kind of. So maybe that's similar or maybe people are just like, oh, people think I'm crazy if I report this or something. Yeah. Or it'll be like a, a like Luke story where it's like he was just out hunting and. Yeah. And then the, the, the bunyip sense. came and went and the, 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 no one panicked in his party, in right. the hunting party. They, they were, were just, just like, oh, that's just. Just don't go in that direction. And then the other thing about that, too, is though, if you're in a hunting party and you're with a couple of people who are, you know, indigenous Australian Aborigines and stuff, it's like, they're going to know if that call is from something else. Yeah. Right? What the heck else else would it be from? Well, you would know what it is. Like, if it's a call from whatever, from a type of bird or something, you're going to know. I'm kind of imagining my head now the boom that comes from vineyards. In the Okanagan, right? That that boom, it's like... To uh, scare off birds. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe probably darker like and more growly, Like the echo of it. Like, yeah, throaty. like more of almost like a... I'm picturing almost like a... Like those sirens, like when there's like an emergency, oh. like a tsunami siren, but not like when it starts, but like the louder stage of it when it's yeah. like a... Like a, like a kind Ooh, of a... Like yeah. a roar, but like deep. Yeah. Deeper, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, with that unsettling tone to it. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Mm-hmm. So... The sightings are still happening. The 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 <laughs> the uh, people hearing it, mm-hmm. the phenomenon of hearing the calls is still happening. And the sightings have been in weird places too. Like even in near hydroelectric dams in ten, uh, Tasmania mm-hmm. in the nineteen thirties. Um, 
you know, in river systems where it hadn't been seen before, stuff like that in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many, like we, we have been alluding to all these similarities with things like Ogopogo, even things like Champ, you get the plesiosaur aspect with the long neck. And like, what if, like the Bunyip is just a regional, a regional interpretation of a uh, animal that actually exists globally, but in various forms and in various very, uh, in habitats that aren't highly inhabited by humans. Right, like, it's just not... Right? Well, yeah, no, and that, like, yeah, no, I, 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 I buy that. It's just buy that so because pretentious of us to think that we've already discovered it all and that we've totally, seen it no, all. Totally, no, and that's, that totally, like, I was know? just doing some reading today on, on a, on, a, from Carl Schuker from mm. one of his books, and uh, not related to this episode or whatever, but was reading about man-eating plants, and he was talking about the same kind of thing where, you know, researchers will go in somewhere and they don't find anything and then they come out and say well we didn't find anything therefore it doesn't exist we came across that with the mongolian death worm episode right mm-hmm. but then you have these locals who believe in it it's like okay well they're there all the time their ancestors have been there for thousands of years yeah you go in for a one-week expedition and you don't find what you're looking for and then you claim that it's not there absence of evidence is not evidence of absence right you have to find it or you you got to be out there for longer to prove something doesn't exist. If exactly. you've got people saying it does, mm-hmm. as long as those people are still saying that it does, in my mind, it, it it exists, at least in the sense that people believe that it does, until you can definitively prove it doesn't, then it still exists. Exactly. It's manifested into reality. Totally. Yeah. That's my take on that. <laughs> the look on your face, you're just like... <laughs> <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> so we're getting into the, our theories. Theories. Yeah. We'd have, like, a cool, like, theories theme music or something. That'd be sweet. <laughs> That's a side note. <laughs> I think that'd be really fun. <laughs> but anyway. So if you guys have ideas for theories theme music, oh, let us know. Fan-created theories music? Oh, I don't even know. We would be down for Or it'd just any, be funny if it's just a sound band. bite where it's just, like, you just say it in a really funny voice, like, <laughs> and now for the theory section from Into the Portal. If anyone wants to record that and send it in to us, we would be We would totally play it. Oh, frick yeah. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Oh. And to be honest, too, I've been seeing a lot of shows. They get, like, fan art and stuff. If there's anybody that listens to us that likes us that's artistic, I would be, like, just gushing for some fan art (gasps) of some kind. Or, like, yeah, like, if anyone's into drawing portals or, like, (laughs) 3D portal models. (laughs) I don't know. There you go. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That would be amazing. I don't know if we have that big of a fan base, though, I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out after this episode, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, we're we're migrating into our theories and explanations section here. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I've already come to my conclusion. You've already kind of come to your conclusion, (laughs) and we'll go over it again. (laughs) But just to start off, I mean, the kind of overarching theme for this is the cryptozoological phenomena theory, right? That this is, that this is something that is a real animal that's just it's gone undetected. Being. It's really there. It's either a megafauna era animal that has evolved to be not that different because the size is similar. Uh-huh. Or it's, yeah, or it's more of some type of kind of more modern day creature that we just haven't seen very much of and just like the indigenous aborigines see it. Mm-hmm. But the thing about this is just like we don't, the evidence points to the diprotodon as the only real megafauna era animal that would really match up with what this but what the bunyip could potentially be you know what i mean so the problem with that is of course that the diprotodon was 
not aggressive and was a herbivore and the size fits, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it, doesn't, it would translate into... It doesn't mean that it na- matches the nature of the beast. No. Like, but, but at the same time, you could make the argument that perhaps these aren't aggressive until you wander into their territory. And in that sense, there are a lot of animals that... Like, even, like, say, well, a silverback gorilla, omnivore, highly territorial. You know Very what I mean? Very true. You... Yeah. What was that? Steve-O and uh, <laughs> Jackass when he went up and, yeah, he was Yeah, it was like Wild Boys it. or something was imagine the show. If, imagine if they're just very sensitive creatures and they feel that way when someone walks past or That kind of makes sense. You know what their... that reminded me of was the... And we haven't, we haven't done an episode on it. It definitely deserves its own. But the... Yeah, the aggressive behavior when ter- for territorial reasons reminds me of the Doberchu, mm, which is a yes. Irish, uh, which is basically like the the Irish king otter. It's a cryptid creature in lakes and river systems in Ireland that is basically just massive aquatic man killer of an otter that can that will seek revenge on you basically yeah. for messing with it. And there's tons of evidence of its existence in Ireland, and there's stories about it. But it reminded me a lot of that because it's very similar. That you know, fleeting evidence. But there is still some semi-aquatic or fully aquatic and isn't supposed to be aggressive, but the stories say that it is. Um. I mean, this is a, this is a, I'm not saying that the, that the bunyip is related to the Doberchu, but I'm just saying that there's very similar characters, similar characteristics Mm -hmm. there. And similar uh, sort of mythologies. Right. (laughs) Because again, yeah, the Doberchu, is it actually aggressive or are people sort of painting a picture of aggressiveness? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's super technical here, aggressive. Well, and it's like anything, too. It's like late Crescent when we did the episode with Brian and Angelo for yes. Cressy. The eels were supposedly super aggressive. Like when the divers went, when we had that one bit with yeah. divers went down. Yeah. They're not supposed to be. Right? But they were. But they were. For a good reason, probably, you know? Right. Yeah, so that, that yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I like that, the, uh, yeah, the cryptozoological argument. I think that that definitely has has a lot of I, I don't know I say legitimacy, but it has a lot of probability in that yeah. sense. Like you know, like a, it's a huge continent, Australia. Well, and was, like you said earlier, there's a lot of uninhabited area, and yeah. even though like the diprotodon or similar similar kind of things could have been could have been the explanation for it, it's still yeah. it's still just kind of more like a piece of oral history. You know what I mean? Like. The idea that this is the dominant theory. The diprotodon theory is the predominant theory for the Banyip, but it, it's that the peoples, the, the ancestors of the in- indigenous peoples were around when they were there. And right. it just simply got passed down through oral tradition until eventually 46,000 years ago when the diprotodon supposedly went extinct. This is freaky. The oral traditions kind of continued on. Pictures, like the skeleton. Uh, that's creepy, man. So, okay, wait. Diprotodon, that, it looks like it, it, it definitely, it resembles almost like a miniature T-Rex, but with not the little mini T-Rex arms, it's yeah. got the four, four yeah. legs. Yeah. There is also that theory, the giant sloth theory. Ah. Uh, and I can't, re- I know that it has a technical name as well. Uh, I'm just trying to pull it up. Um, I mean, it all just, yeah, you pull it up. It I all just, yeah. it all just falls under the megafauna. Like, this is the Pleistocene. This is the end of the Pleistocene era, and just massive animals that were around at the same time as our human ancestors. And that's that's what's important here. 
The weird part is the aquatic angle. Because... Oh. Okay, sorry. You found it? Oh, no. Yeah. That's actually... I knew that that would make sense. Okay. The, yeah, Depertodon, Australis, is ah. a massive marsupial that resembles a wombat the size of a rhino, and it's more commonly known as the giant sloth. Okay, there you go. So it is the same. So it's the same it's one. one and the same. Right. I was kind of confused because you weren't saying giant sloth, giant sloth, giant sloth. So sorry. I was like, yeah, yeah. I need to hear the giant sloth. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, sorry. It is the same, the same thing. Right. It's one and the same. But there is other giant species that maybe this could... I don't I don't really buy the whole giant kangaroo one. No, I don't, but the reason that I thought it was interesting to include is there was a thing called the Procoptodon, which mm-hmm. was, yeah, like we just said, a giant kangaroo that weighed up to 500 pounds and was just massive. This thing isn't described as being jumpy, though. It's described as being, like, lumbering around and stuff, you know? No, for so sure. for me, it definitely resembles more closely... A platypus. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> the, the The only reason I included the uh, giant kangaroo is the fact that they were thought to be extremely aggressive. Ah. And they do have tails. Platypus don't have tails. And you always get that description of a tail, like a horse tail, horse yeah. mane. So, can you imagine being around like 50,000 years ago, you got your spear, you're going down to hunt some fish, and you have a freaking eight and a half foot tall, 500 pound kangaroo that comes up behind you. You're like, dead. no thanks. You're dead. Like, <laughs> like no. Maybe try and hop just this Just the Mindy project. Like, That's, no, no, just, just, just no. Mindy, what kind of hummus do you <laughs> just, like? Just, no, no. <laughs> Excuse me, kangaroo, just no. No, I'm not, dealing, no. not dealing with that today. Just, no thanks. We should have a contest. How many... Pop culture references can be baked in a single episode. <laughs> How many we haven't had any Murder She Wrote episode uh, references in a long time. Hey, well, we did and now. You know, you know, well, <laughs> yeah, now we did because we were actually watching it today, but our PVR was broken for like two months, so we couldn't watch any Murder She Wrote, and it was killing me. Killing me dead. <laughs> you guys probably all heard it in my voice. I was dying on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways. So. So there's some other theories, right? Like the animals that are still amongst us, so to speak. Yeah. And that could the be idea misinterpreted that, or mistaken for it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an idea that elephant seals or leopard seals uh, could be possible explanations because they have been found to be to travel like you know further than they should up waterways. Oh, interesting. Um, but they are they are aquatic and they are ocean bound right they're ocean and yeah and and they're not again they're not going it would be very strange for them to be so far inland it would mm. be like one of those situations where it's super disoriented and it ends up just in the wrong place kind of mm-hmm. yeah and elephants see all these things look hilarious they've actually got like a little trunk but again yeah no not really the dog face or the uh, no it doesn't really match the descriptions the only thing that matches is the fact that they they swim no. and that they're quite large <laughs> looking at this though could that possibly be the remnants that were found by uh, human human mihan yeah because this shape very closely resembles the skull that we saw pictured well if that's if that's the angle why would have someone suggested that the first like oh it has to be an oxen it has to be a deformed cow like what i mean i i i guess at this point in time maybe knowledge of anatomy of animals which just wasn't even there like maybe just didn't even think to or maybe honestly maybe they didn't even know that elephant seals were around maybe not i mean 
These look like manatees. But if we were going to go, well, if we're going that route, though, theory-wise, to think that, okay, maybe it could have been an elephant seal, what if we go the reverse angle, instead of there being a megafauna that evolved to adapt to live in aquatic, mm-hmm. like, like the diprotodon, what if it was an already, you know, evolved seal that's out to sea that then moves inland and that's yeah. just an offshoot? It's just another species of seal. Exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But seals, again, not very aggressive. No, I mean, like, I'm probably very territorial, though, for their young and stuff like that. True, yeah. But otherwise, you're not going to be, you know, biting a woman in half and, like, tearing, you know what I mean? Like, ripping apart you. The elephant tusks, those kind of, kind of go, well, they said, like, a walrus. So, (laughs) it's like a walrus-elephant-seal mix with a dog in there, just thrown in there. It's kind of a hodgepodge, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of where we move into like the supernatural element of it because mm. the William Buckley made that point after living with living with a specific Aboriginal group for 30 plus years that they revered yet feared this thing as like a supernatural creature. And mm. that's the same with the Ogopogo. That goes back to the um the account from Oh my gosh, what was his name? The guy that was the convict escaped? Yeah, William B- Buckley. Buckley. Yeah, yeah. and oh, like he he emphasized that a lot, the supernatural element. Absolutely. So like the bellowing cry, the all these things, those are just like indicators that it's a real thing. But the but then the description of it, it's got a it's got a bill. It's got this, it's got that. It's, it's got hair, always it's got different. feathers, it's got claws, it's got it's, horse it's, manes, it's, got it's this. being shaped to fit for an individual specific mythology, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, do you? What do you make of the supernatural? The supernatural element, like, like, what do you even think of that? Like, is interdimensional creature? Like, is this like, is this a, something that's more of just a spirit, spirit of the water? It's not even a real thing. It's not tangible. It's more of something that people Ooh, just see. Now we're going back to our last episode, where it's like, if you mess with nature, maybe nature messes with you. Yeah, like, is it that? It's Either, just... I don't know, though. I don't really gravitate towards that sort of supernatural No, I mean, aspect. I don't for this one either. No, I feel like... I, I normally I'm, do, in general. Yeah, or, like, the interdimensional. <laughs> but <laughs> he literally, folks, he wrote in the notes, he's like, I know it comes up every episode. Sorry. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> interdimensional. You're, you're listening to the portal, people. Come on. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like... But I get the spiritual aspect from a storytelling standpoint and from a cultural standpoint. And yeah. that's kind of the yeah, the, the other theories, like the idea it's folklore for safety. So, like, I've been sort of bringing up a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that, like, I love how you wrote this in the notes. It's like, these people were not having safety meetings about dangerous places, <laughs> right? So how did they make sure their fellow man was uh, knew things that were safe or unsafe? <laughs> Through stories. Right? It's not like you're sitting What about liquefaction? <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not sitting down there on the tailgate having a safety exactly. meeting. Exactly. We went you're... through so many of those working with the city, hey. That was so funny. But Yeah, no, it's it's passed Dennis. down through <laughs> Sorry, that was a quote from Dennis. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, so like yeah, through stories, through Aesop's fables, that type of thing, right? Yeah. That would sort of lead people to make the right decisions. <laughs> Maybe not because they had all the right information, but because they just needed to hear it in that way. Well, I mean, I'm thinking you know? it's like, especially for children. Yeah. I mean, and that's I, why, again, we got the reference to the women and children, the vulnerable aspects yeah, of society. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. 
I just, I didn't come across, like I looked through a few websites that were specific for like, you know, fables and folklore for, you know, Southeastern Aboriginal peoples. I didn't come across like cautionary to any real cautionary tale specifically. Like this one's kind of almost a cryptic one, right? It's like, if it is a cautionary tale and this isn't a real creature and it's just oral tradition for that purpose, it's not like it's, uh, you know, a Jack and the Beanstalk story, one-off story or something, right? It's, about about yeah. a real thing. It's just this amalgamous, never-ending, shape-shifting craziness yeah. that can either be used for that end to be like, don't go near the billabong because it's dangerous, or it's they're legitimately afraid of something. Like, I, I feel like there has to be something they're legitimately afraid of that's that has elements of supernatural something to it. Otherwise, why wouldn't you just be like, you know what, there's alligators, right? Like, you know, you know, like... There's a lot of things that can kill you. Honestly, though, maybe alligator... Well, frick, we had the crocodile hunter. Maybe alligators aren't scary enough. <laughs> Not Australia. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, these Aboriginal kids, they're just... They're, yeah, the 1800s, they're just off their rocker. They really need structure. They need to be scared straight. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm... I don't know. Not sure about that. Yeah. But it's definitely kind of become a part of the public consciousness, right? So... It's just become this charming bit of folklore. So it's now seen as the... Charming. You know what? It really has because it's funny, right? It's been portrayed throughout all this episode as this man-eater. And now today, it's basically a gentle giant. Is how it's marketed in Australia. So there's like bunyip chocolates. Really? There's Yeah. There's yaoi chocolates too, which, like, which would be the Australian <laughs> Bigfoot. Of course. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's just become this pop culture thing. But then there's still the flip side of it. So there's there was a movie in two, uh, 2016 called Red Billabong. <laughs> Bloody Water, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like a totally independent film. I haven't watched it. I'm assuming it's going to be very, very bad. But Aww, it's basically don't say that. <laughs> well, don't just... It's... <laughs> you haven't seen it. I haven't okay. seen I'm going to watch it. It's just... it. I looked at the cover and I read the synopsis. It looks like one of those really cheesy horror movies. But it's a horror movie about... We should the track bunyip. it down. Let's so do these it. two brothers basically get stalked by this supernatural creature. Cool. I so like it's, it. So it's still in the consciousness on both ends. Yeah. Which is which is kind of interesting, but what? So your your theory is that it's a giant platypus. I'm I'm leaning that way. Okay. I'm leaning some sort of hybrid platypus thing. I don't <laughs> okay. know. What's your favorite? Theory? And you're basically basing that off of like the descriptions of the sightings. Yes, okay. and and the fact the that there is the precedent of, of these other giant megafauna type creatures mm-hmm. living in the area, and I just feel like I just really like platypuses. <laughs> when enough. I was young, a platypus used to be my favorite. I had a beanie baby, and he was just my my buddy. <laughs> and then I moved on to hippos, and I I'm obsessed with hippos. I love them so much. You're obsessed with semi aquatic things. I just love them. I love their tiny little ears and their cute little nostrils. I literally, to this day, I've had the same hippo stuffy that I've slept with since I was about six up to now. So I'm about, I'm turning 26. So it's been with me for like 20 years. Crazy. And he's still right over there. I can see him. He's, yeah. And you can even poke your finger into his nostril (laughs) and it goes down to like my second uh, knuckle. And it's, it's really satisfying. It's like picking your nose, but not picking your nose. (laughs) Oh, as if just in case anyone out there didn't think we were like weird enough already. It's just more tidbits on us. I think for me, with this, I I don't know. I'm kind of leaning that way too. I don't know about platypus because 
we didn't find any direct evidence for that other than I guess you could kind of, <laughs> you could, you could lean on some of the track marks and things like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think that it's likely to be a, um, an offshoot of the diprotodon, some sort of a larger land mammal that's just evolved to be semi-aquatic. Mm-hmm. And we know that animals like that can sustain themselves in really small populations. Right. We've okay. seen it before. And uh, if it's not something that's directly hunted, if it's something that's revered by the mm. indigenous peoples, well, then they're not going to get, you know, they're not going to be uh, pushed into extinction. Yeah. And if they are something that perhaps doesn't reproduce on a yearly basis, but something that lives a long right. time and only gives off a few offspring in its life. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's, it's a, it's some type of a modern diprotodon or sea lion. That's just basically migrated in land and or it's 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 something that's evolved. I think it's a real mm-hmm. creature. I don't think that there's anything supernatural to it at all. I think that the best evidence is the sounds. Mm-hmm. I mean Well it's the same way that say a lion could be spiritualized on the African tundra or whatever. A tundra? Sahara. African Sahara. <laughs> tundra <laughs> that'd be more like russia might be a bit brisk russian tundra yeah, yeah i don't know siberian tiger russian tundra um yeah no but you know like those sort of qualities can be applied to creatures and right. so it's not as if they necessarily contain them on their own but i think that's uh, yeah, we're kind of on the same page then yeah I'm definitely leaning more towards my platypus though well, we're both in the we're both in the camp that it's a real animal. Platy the platypus. That, that it's an animal that's <laughs> great. <laughs> and you just so right now. <laughs> creative way to way to get creative with your name. Platy, <laughs> so cute. Gosh. Well, I guess that kind of wraps it up, folks. It kind of does. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what because honestly, like we felt with this one. I thought there was going to be a little bit more concise as we kind of like came down Uh, towards the end and the theories and stuff as we were researching and as we were discussing this throughout the week, but it didn't really, (laughs) it kind of just got like more muddled and weird and, and, you know, fun, fun for sure. I'm just very curious to see what you guys think of this. Yes. And if anyone from Australia is listening to this and they have had an encounter with a bunyip or know someone in their family or friend circle or whatever that has a story to share yeah we would love to hear it because again like it kind of the trail sort of tapers off in the mid 1900s so again like yeah other than the brief anecdote i got from our buddy luke yeah uh, which is really cool isn't it cool because that's super modern yeah so i mean there's something strange something's there yeah so you can uh, shoot us an email directly to into the portal mailbox at gmail.com with any questions or comments or anything about this episode or other episodes. Please let us know what you think because yeah. this is a strange one. Uh, you can tweet at us or DM us as well. So at into the portal and at Amber Ray 1992. And we're on uh, Instagram as well at into the portal podcast. So you can message us on there. Come follow us on the socials and interact. Yeah. Facebook as well. Yeah. We got the into the portal podcast. Yeah. Facebook and we'll be group. posting some questions into the podcast group about this one just because like it was tough for us to wrap our heads around it. Like I feel like we've had more, more, um, convincing evidence and concise arguments with other topics. And this yeah. one was just very tough. Definitely. But before we leave though, um, we just wanted to say thank you so much to our Patreon supporters. 
this episode is because yes. of you guys and because of all of you listening as well. Oh, yeah. But we really appreciate all of you. Um, so thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you guys haven't had a chance to check out our Patreon page, page please head <laughs> over there and do so. Uh, yeah. It's patreon.com forward slash into the portal. We'll be releasing our first bonus episode very, very soon. <laughs> so which is covering none other than the lost crown jewels of King John. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a really fun one. So hop on over to Patreon and check it out. Yeah, we'd really appreciate it. So thanks again for listening, guys, and until next week. Until next week, on Into the Portal. Network. You can check out more shows like it at oddfixnetwork.com.